2 Timothy chapter 2 in your Bible. Let me ask you to open it to that place. Again, I want to ask you to help me to help us hear God's voice. You not only hear God's word, but uh, look at it tonight. While you're finding 2 Timothy 2, I know this is repetitive, but I I just can't tell you how much I have been blessed in the last 24 hours and just seeing God's grace in your lives and in this church's lives. I texted my wife this afternoon and just told her um, that something special was going on in this place. And um, you've blessed me by letting me be a part of it um, these, these last 24 hours. So thank you. And I hope what we see in God's word tonight will be not just a challenge, but it'll be an encouragement to you. If you don't have a Bible, look on with somebody. If there's someone close to you, let me read over you 2 Timothy chapter 2. Beginning with verse 1, the Apostle Paul is the human author, but he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is God's word for us. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete isn't crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Just finished the Summer Olympics not too long ago. Uh, I love the Olympics. um, Everything that goes on with regard to the patriotism and just the good competition. Not to mention incredible uh, athletics. My favorite event in the track and field competition is what's called the sprint relay race, particularly the 400 meter, 4 by 100 relay race. Many of you are familiar with that. Even if you're not a big sports fan, you've seen this, you know what goes on. Uh, Each uh, team is made up of four runners. Each of the four runners run what's called a leg of the race. And they have a responsibility in running the legs of the race to carry um, uh, an item called a baton, like this one that I'm, I'm holding here tonight. And each runner is responsible for running his leg or her leg of the race and then passing it uh, to the next runner and then so on and so forth until they get around the track. Now, I'm going to tell you why. I love the relay race. I, I love it for a number of reasons. Um, number one, I love it because it's a team sport. And I just like team sports. I like when several people are working together to accomplish a goal. There's nothing wrong with the individual sports, but I, I just think that that's a cool thing. Another thing that fascinates me about it, especially in the sprint relay race, is the incredible timing uh, that it takes. I mean, these runners have to run Uh, on a a dead run and they have to time their exchanges uh, such that they don't break their pace. They don't break their speed. They don't slow down. 
And so one runner will start uh, in time to get up to full speed. So by the other time, by the time the runner behind him who has the baton gets up on him, he can make the exchange and, and neither one of them ever have to, to break stride in that. But the thing that is most fascinating to me about the relay race is that the relay race is the winner of the relay race is not the team whose last runner crosses the finish line first. The team that wins the relay race is the team whose last runner crosses the finish line first carrying the baton. You see, you can, you can get around the track and you can get around the track faster than the other team. But if you don't have the baton, when you cross the finish line, you don't win the race. And not only that, the exchange between each runner in passing the baton has to be done within an allowed zone or you're disqualified. I was disappointed that our men's 4x100 relay team uh, didn't even qualify uh, this year. They, they were expected to be one of the favorites, if not, if not win it. It reminds me a little bit about the tragedy of 1988 when the United States went into the Summer Olympics, the hands-down favorite to win the sprint relay. We had the fastest guys, so, you know, even our backup guys were faster than everybody else. There wasn't anybody, I don't think, that went into it not believing that we were, were, were going to, you know, go, not going to win that race. But the United States actually, like this year, didn't even qualify for the finals in 1988. Uh, there was an exchange between two of, uh, of the runners, Calvin Smith and Lee McNeil, between the third and fourth leg in which they bobbled the baton and, and, and they didn't actually make the exchange until they got past the allowed zone. And so the United States, with all of the fast runners and all of the great athletes, didn't even get into the finals. What a tragedy. It's the tragedy I want you to think about with me tonight. What a tragedy to have the best athletes, the fastest runners, and yet not win the race, not because you're not the fastest, but because you don't make the exchange in the time that is allowed for you. Rome was crumbling in the early 60s AD. Nero turned up the heat of persecution. He was panicking. He blamed the crumble on the Christians and, 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 and intensified persecution against them. Timothy was a pastor that was feeling that pressure. He was feeling that pressure from a number of different standpoints. Obviously, the persecution was there, but he had some other things going on as well. I mean, he was struggling with self-confidence, apparently, probably due to a number of things. He had some health issues. Just see if you can identify with any of these things on the list as you think about your role in the kingdom tonight. He had some health issues. We know that from 1 Timothy. He, he was inexperienced, and there were people in his church that were hating on him because he, you know, they, they didn't feel like he was old enough to really be able to, to shepherd, him, shepherd them. There was false teaching. It abounded inside the church, outside the church, coming from every direction. 
On top of all of that, Timothy apparently just by nature was a, was a timid person, you know, probably a guy that didn't know how to, how to work a room, not a very good deal for a pastor. He's a guy that comes into a room and not necessarily goes around and introduces himself to everybody, but maybe kind of hangs over in the shadows waiting for people to come to him or hoping that people wouldn't come to him. So he had some, he had some external things going on. He had some internal things going on. All of those things led this young man, this young pastor to the place that when we read Paul's letters to Timothy, it appears that Timothy was ready to quit. He was ready to walk off the track. He was tired. He was frustrated. He was hurt. He wasn't feeling well. And on top of all of that, his mentor, his mentor was about to pass off the scene. Everything we know, the Apostle Paul would never be released from the prison cell from which he wrote this letter. Timothy was about, about to lose the guy that led him to faith and discipled him, mentored him, and nurtured him. And he was at the place, and listen to me, this is part of the connection that I want to make that I will just say to you, and some of you know this, some of these missionaries know this, people in a church like this know this, you do this thing long enough that you're doing, you give yourself to give your money to give your time, to give your energy, to leverage everything in your life and leverage everything in your church for the advancement of the gospel. Along the way, brothers and sisters, I would love to be able to tell you that it gets easier. But it doesn't. It gets harder and harder and harder and harder. The more challenges there are, the more people that are pressing against it, the more unreached people there are. And on top of that, each and every one of us in the room tonight bring personal stuff to the table. Whether it be health issues or people that are angry with us or don't think we're good enough and on and on we could go. With all of the things that will be pressing against you. And I want you to hear, hear, hear this tonight. And I want you to understand. Though not all of us in the room are pastors like Timothy was. All of us are in this race. All of us have this responsibility. All of us are on the planet for this reason. And there are going to be times. There are going to be times in our individual lives. And there are going to be times in the life of this church. Where you're going to be ready to walk off the track and quit. Hey, hadn't we done enough, pastor? Haven't we been doing this missions thing long enough? Haven't we been talking about it? Haven't we sent out enough of our people? Hey, when are we going to get some people instead of just sending people out? Haven't we given enough money? Haven't we been apart? Haven't I gone on enough mission trips? When are we going to do something different? And you're going to find yourself at a place that I think Timothy found himself at, and that is where he was, he was ready to walk off the track and abandon the race. So you think about all those things that I mentioned just a moment ago. We might think that the Apostle Paul would write to this young man, and <coughs> excuse me, maybe, maybe in the midst of all this going on, especially the persecution that was coming, maybe write to him and say, hey, hey, bro, listen, I, I didn't see this coming. So why don't, why don't you just pull back? Why don't you just get into the shadows? Why don't you lay low a while? Let the dust settle, and then we'll see what happens, and maybe then you can regroup. 
That's not what Paul does in this letter. He writes to this, he writes to this young man and through him the word of the Lord comes to us. And he basically says to him, don't you even think about quitting. Time is too short. The gospel is too precious. People are too lost. Hell is too real. Don't even think about quitting. I want to offer you three exhortations. They're not coming from me. I'm going to show them to you in this text of scripture. They come right out of the Bible. These are God's exhortations to you. Long viewpoint. These are his exhortations. I want to show you three exhortations that the Apostle Paul gives him, particularly in these verses right here that I read just a moment ago. Exhortations that basically say that. Don't you even think about quitting. Exhortation number one. You're going to have to have this. Rely on the resource of grace. Rely on the resource of grace. Look at what Paul says, you then, my child, in verse 1, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, it's really, really important that we understand what Paul is telling Timothy to do here, lest we think that this is just some touchy-feely theological uh, uh, just assertion related to Timothy's salvation and the grace that was necessary for him to have his sins forgiven. It's not what Paul is talking about here. The word grace is a, is a word that certainly includes that which was necessary for the forgiveness of our sins. We, 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 we sing about it. Amazing grace. How, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And we know that this gospel that we share is a gospel of grace. And we know it is the unmerited favor of God that, that, that calls us and saves us and provides everything we need for right relationship. But a lot of Christians think that grace stopped at the cross. That it stopped at, at what was necessary to get them saved. I simply want to call your attention. We don't have time to look at it all tonight. But, but I, I know many of you know this from your reading of the New Testament. Grace is not something that is just necessary for the forgiveness of our sins. Grace, listen to me, come in here real close, is necessary for living every day of the Christian life. This is why the gospel is not just for saved people. This is why we sing about it in our musical worship. This is why we preach about it. This is why we remind one another about it. It's not just in terms of let's take it to those people that need it. We need the gospel every day. Every single day to live the, live the Christian life. And the reason for that is grace has a, is a dynamic deposit, an ongoing deposit. It is the resource of God that enables us to live the Christian life and, and live the mission, live out the mission that we're on and carry out everything. You need it. I need it. You need it to be obedient at every point in the Christian life. You know, we think about the, the acronym about G-R-A-C-E, God's redemption at Christ's expense, which reflects back on the grace necessary for our salvation. I wonder sometimes if we don't need a, a second acronym. We need to think in terms of G-R-A-C-E, God's resources applied to the Christian experience. Now, I think that is what Paul is exhorting Timothy to lean into. You know, I know that Timothy's already saved. 
He's already a Christian, right? He doesn't need his sins forgiven. But Paul thinks he needs something in order to stay in this race, run his leg of the race, carry this baton around the track, and that is the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see there in verse 1, notice this. He says, be strengthened by this grace. He, he tells him to do something. Basically, this is kind of weird. He tells him to do something that he really can't do. We know that because in the language of the New Testament, this, this, this verb, be strengthened, is in, is in a form that basically means to be acted on from outside yourself. In other words, somebody else is doing something to you. And so Paul says to Timothy, this Timothy that is about to quit here, he says, you, you do what you can't do. You lean into something that has been made available to you. And listen, watch this now, that God is still applying to your life. And that's the resources to be able to do this thing. Basically, Paul tells Timothy, you take your weakness you take your inability. You, 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 you take your inadequacy. And you lay it at the foot of the cross and lean in with the same dependence that you depended on Jesus to forgive your sins when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. You lean in with your dependence on him to do for you what you cannot do. And Longview Point, listen to me. That... That is something. If you are going to continue to be a sending church, a giving church, a going church. If you're going to keep the flames burning for missions. The sacrificial spirit. If that's going to keep happening. It is only going to be because you continue to recognize your inability and your weakness. And you are utterly dependent on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to empower you and strengthen you. This is part of the economy of God. One of the most overlooked things I think, I know it is in ministry leadership among pastors and preachers like myself. But, but, but it happens in the Christian life, especially for those of us here in the Western church, I think. And that is to, is to forget that God has always operated under what appears to be a twisted economy. I mean, it just seems messed up. And I'm particularly talking about this idea of strength through weakness. That God, you know, God has chosen to pour out his supernatural help and power through weak vessels. And I'll just tell you, he's done that for one reason, and that is so that he gets the glory. Nobody can give us the credit when that, when that happens. But all the way back into the Old Testament, Jesse's, you know, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Samuel is, is, is looking for a new king. Saul's defaulted on the throne. God sends him down to Jesse's house. He goes down there and he does the beauty pageant thing, right? I mean, he runs Jesse's sons through there one by one. Biggest, baddest, strongest, handsomest. And one by one, God marks them off. Samuel's confused. God speaks to him and he said, don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I've refused him. Because you see, the Lord doesn't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? He looks at the heart. Now go out there and get the little ruddy shepherd boy and bring him in. And that's what Samuel did. He brought David in, anointed him as Israel's next king. Not only Israel's next king, but Israel's greatest king. And not only Israel's greatest king, but the king through whom Messiah would come. The very reason that we're sitting here tonight, right? God manifests his strength through weakness. Proverbs 31 woman. 
You know it, ladies. Men, you know it as well. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. That's not what the world says. The world says, ladies, in all you're getting, get charm. Whatever you have to do, get physical beauty. And all the time, God has written over it. My favor rests with a woman who fears me. Jesus came on the scene talking crazy stuff. I mean, it was just messed up. Saying stuff like, if you want to be first, you got to be what? Last. If you want to be a leader, you got to be a servant. If you want to live, you got to die. Makes no sense to the world. Paul understood it, though. That's why he said, and Jason, I think you said it either this morning or not. I don't remember, but I remember you just referred to it actually tonight, talking about people like us. God, God chose a foolish message, the message of the cross. And he chose foolish people like us to be the ones who convey this message. And he did it so that when the dust settles after releasing his supernatural power, otherworldly stuff. He's the only one that gets the glory. That's why Paul says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching weren't with persuasive words of human wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and power. Second Corinthians 4, 6. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, in jars of clay. Why? So that the excellency would be in him and not in us. Reaches its pinnacle in Paul's life in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 with that thorn in the flesh thing. And he calls on the Lord, ask him to remove it. You remember Jesus' response to it. My what? Grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And when Paul heard that, he says, whoa. If that's what it means to have the power of God, then bring it on. Most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. Because when I am weak, that's when I'm strong, Paul said. You're going to find yourself. Maybe some of you are there tonight. Where you feel weak, where you see your weakness, you find yourself ready to quit. Remember, it may be in those times, it may be in those times that you are closer to tapping in to the power of God than any other time. Don't quit. Don't quit. Let me just tell you a little secret, okay? By all the standards that most people measure success in churches... Or measure effectiveness. Let me just tell you. You can do this thing. You can do it. You can give your money. You can attend worship services. Study the Bible. You can go on mission trips. You can do all that and more. And you can do it your entire life. Only to get to the end of it. And realize you've done every bit of it. Completely devoid of anything otherworldly. Remember what I said. By virtue of the way that most people measure success. You know how they measure it, right? Building more buildings, larger crowds, bigger budgets. We look at that. Even, even people joining the church and even being baptized. All the activity can be happening. But you know, we, we, can, we can concoct that stuff. We can create it. We can make it happen. And none of it be dependent upon the supernatural power of God. Longview Point, know that it is through weakness. It is through weakness that God manifests His strength. Don't ever lose your dependence 
on Him. Rely on the resource of grace. Secondly, develop devoted disciple makers. Develop devoted disciple makers. It's here where the Apostle Paul, specifically in verse 2, tells Timothy to, to do something very practical in this, this mission, in this gospel advancement. And, and, and he tells him basically to do what we oftentimes refer to as reproductive disciple making. And I know many of you are products of that and many of you are involved in it. And I want you to be encouraged in this. But, but I, I think it's important to understand this in, in light of a global missions emphasis. And I want to show you why. In verse 2 he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now what we just read, beloved, is not only a reflection of what Jesus did with the 12 disciples... But it is God's primary plan for the advancement of the gospel. Now, a little bit ago, I told you, I began this message by telling you that, you know, that, that we're in a relay race. And I didn't grab that out of the air. I'm not just using that as an illustration. I think that's what's going on here. You, you go back to chapter 1 and verse 3. Go what Paul says. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. With a clear conscience, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. It says in verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. You see what's happening? Paul says, my ancestors handed the baton to me. I handed it to your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and they handed it to you. Now jump over here to chapter 2, verse 2, and listen to what Paul says. The things you've heard from me among many witnesses entrust to faithful men who'll be able to do what? Who'll be able to... Pass this on to others, right? Now, Paul is not just thinking about, and I do think he's thinking about the relay race. He would have been very familiar with the, 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 the Olympics at that time, as well as the Isthmian Games. All of them would have had relay races in them. He would have known. I, I think that that has to be the picture in his mind. But listen, he's talking about a very particular baton. And you know what that baton is? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. You can go back and look at it in chapter 1. He tells him in verse 8, Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me as prisoner, but share in the sufferings of the gospel. And then he gives a little capsule of it. By the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. And he gave us, uh, gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality through the gospel, right? It's a description of the gospel. And beloved, listen, that's the baton that Paul's talking about Timothy staying in the race with and getting around the track. A little bit later, he's going to call it in verse 13 of chapter 1, the pattern of sound words. Verse 14, he's going to refer to it as the good deposit which was entrusted to you. God's primary plan for getting this gospel around the globe is for us to reproduce ourselves, and listen to me, reproduce this gospel in the lives of other men, women, boys, and girls. I, I, I want to give you this challenge because I want to caution you. I want to caution you not to limit your global missions to the events 
Don't limit them to events like this. Don't even lim- limit them to, the, to the, the mass events that you do evangelistic here locally. Don't limit them even, even to the mass events and worship service you go overseas and lead. Don't ever lose sight of the primary means of the advancement of the gospel from generation to generation. And that is when twice born men, women, boys and girls like you. Find another individual or two or three individuals and multiply their lives in them and multiply, listen, this gospel life in them. And listen, I'm I'm not talking... I'm not talking about just meeting at Starbucks every you know, Tuesday and having a Bible study and memorizing scripture and praying together. Remember, the baton has got to get around the track. You know what that means? That the primary thing going on in disciple making is that we are passing this gospel on to other people. So that they're living their lives according to it. They know what it is. They can describe it. They can articulate it. And they can turn around and they can pass it on to other individuals. And so in the midst of everything you're doing in global missions, make sure this is a part of it. Make sure there's a personal part of it. Go on the mission trips. It's incredible experiences. See what God is doing and be a part of it. But as you go, be investing yourself in other individuals. Think about individuals in this congregation that you can pour your life into. That you can invest your life and multiply yourself. And in doing that, multiply this gospel. Leading them to the place where they want to leverage their entire lives. Their bank accounts, their families, their occupations. Everything for the sake of the gospel. Develop devoted disciple makers. And then finally, Paul gives Timothy a third exhortation. And that's this, share in the sufferings for the gospel. Longview Point, listen to this. You see it in verse 3? Actually says it straight up. Compares it to the suffering that a good soldier does. Share in suffering. In the language of the New Testament, this is a triple compound word. It's made up of three words, suffer bad together. And this is the third exhortation that that, that the Apostle Paul gives to God. Listen, don't forget, the guy that's about ready to quit. And he he says something that he's already said back over there in verse 8 in chapter 1, when he said, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel. Suffer bad together. Let me just put this in street language for you. You know what Paul says to Timothy right here? Suck it up, bro. (laughs) Quit your crying. Suck it up. Stay on the track. Keep running. Now, before you think that's insensitive, let me call your attention to two things. Number one, Paul, Paul has bought the right to say that to Timothy at this point because he's already called him, back up there in verse one, a child He does that back over in the first part of chapter 1 as well. It's a term of intimacy, of relationship. But the second reason he buys the right to be able to say that at that point is because he's just told them all of the resources of God are available to you in His grace. That's why he can say to him, get in line, man, because this is what comes with the gospel life. 
Not everybody's going to say yes. In fact, more are going to say no than say yes. The going's going to get tough. There's going to be pushback. People are going to laugh at you. They're going to make fun of you. People are going to reject you. And while it hasn't happened to any large degree in this country, I think it's coming. There will be physical persecution. We've seen it from afar. Many of these missionaries live it. They can give testimony to how it's happening with our brothers and sisters in Christ across the globe. But if, but if you don't think it's coming to America, you're not paying attention. I really believe in my lifetime, there will be some pastors, some believers that are at the very least put in prison for their faith. It's coming. And Longview Point, I, I just want to say to you that when it comes, it really shouldn't be a surprise to you and to me. Because it's the nature of the gospel life, right? Some of you here this evening that God's stirring in your heart, just as men and women of God, and of just leveraging more of your life for the sake of the gospel, being a bolder witness. There are going to be times that you're not going to want to go there and you're going to want to quit. I think, I think they're in a crowd this size, in a church like this, it, it certainly wouldn't be surprising that God right now is stirring in the hearts of some of you and maybe some young boys, young girls, some moms and dads to, to, to actually pull up roots, to pull up roots and go, go somewhere else, to be part of a church planning team, to go overseas as a missionary. For, for this to be a, a, a redirection of your life and, and, and your ministry. All kinds of things like that could be going on. I want, I want you to hear this. Share in the sufferings for the gospel. It's not going to be easy. Jesus never said it would be. In fact, sometimes when people at the place are ready to quit, we hear some of the hardest, strongest exhortations to stay in the game. Paul gives three illustrations of sharing in the sufferings of the gospel. The first one comes from the analogies just used as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It comes in verse 4 when he says no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I'll tell you what Paul, what I think he's doing. Actually, in all three of these illustrations, he's basically describing the gospel life and he's saying the gospel life looks different than the life of all your other friends and family members. And he does it three ways. The first one is here when he basically says it's a life of denial. Compares it to a soldier and says a soldier doesn't get to do everything that everybody else gets to do. I said this morning, I have a son in the military. You know, I, you know, I, I know those times of sitting around Thanksgiving table and everybody's around. The other grandkids, the other kids are looking at, but there's an empty chair there. And it's an empty chair because he's not there. He's deployed. It's not wrong for him to sit at the table with the family. That's a good thing. That's a, that's, a, that's a good civilian pursuit. But a soldier doesn't get to do that. Because he signed up for an assignment, for a cause, for a purpose. Many of you have been there. You're there right now. This is true for the Christian life. Listen to me. There are so many Christians in America today especially here in the deep south, listen to me, they think the gospel is just something to be added to their life. 
They want to keep with, with their dreams and their pursuits and, and, and they want to do life their way. And oh yeah, I want that eternal life thing and that Christian life. My family's all gone to church. I'm going to take that gospel thing and add it to my life. Listen to me. The gospel is not something you add to your life. The gospel replaces your life. It is your life. It controls your life. And that means that we are called to a life of denial. We don't get to do everything everybody else is doing. You know why? Because we're in a war and we're on a mission. We're soldiers. It's a life of denial. Not only that, a life of discipline. He uses the athlete in verse 5. An athlete's not crowned unless he complete, competes according to the rules. You know this. You got to play by the rules. You got to train by the rules. You got to pass drug tests. This athlete's got to not eat some things they would like to eat. Not do some activities, all, not, not all of which are wrong. But if they're going to play by the rules and get the crown, then, then they have to lead a life of discipline. Same way with the gospel life, your life and my life. Gospel life is not for undisciplined people. And by the way, God didn't leave us alone for that. When he put his spirit in us, he gave us a spirit, the fruit of which is self-control, self-discipline. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the life of God inside of you to be able to do this. A life of denial, like the life of discipline. And then don't miss this one, a life of diligence. Just hard work. Uses a farmer. Verse 6. It's a hard working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The gospel life is not a life for lazy people. It is not a life for us to be flipping about. Nonchalant. It's not a life for us to pursue all the conveniences and the comforts that maybe all the rest of our family and all the rest of our friends get to pursue. This is a life because it is a gospel life. And it is a gospel that is worth the pain in our back and the sweat of our brow to spend ourselves. This is why you never retire from the gospel life. You may retire, senior adults, listen to me. Almost there myself. You may retire from an occupation, particular income, but you never retire from the reason you're on the planet. It's not one of those deals where, hey, I've paid my dues and I'm just going to coast now. We spend ourselves for this. A life of denial, a life of discipline, and a life of diligence. It takes hard work. You know, not qualifying was not the only tragic thing about the 1988 Olympic when it came to our men's 4x100 relay team. We had a guy on our team that it was at that time considered to be the fastest human being on the planet. His name was Carl Lewis. And he ran the anchor leg, the last leg in our relay race, but we were so loaded that year. We were so loaded we had so many fast guys that the coach ran some other guys in the preliminaries and then he was going to put the A-team in in the finals. The United States never made it to the finals. Carl Lewis never ran in the preliminaries. The fastest man on the planet never even got on the track. When I interact with these missionaries, I, I think about them as... The fastest people on the planet. These are the cream of the crop. These are the ones that are leading the way. Ones we're so proud of. But I also look at a crowd like this and I wonder, I wonder 
How many Carl Lewises are there? In the student group, in the children's area, in the young adults, median adults, senior adults. How many Carl Lewises are here that never get on the track because some of us throw in the towel? Some of us never develop devoted disciple makers. Some of us never lean into the grace of God. Some of us never share in the sufferings. Long viewpoint, let me encourage you tonight. Spend yourself for this gospel. Don't ever give up. God's grace is sufficient. It's the most rewarding life that's available. Let's pray together. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we want to say thank you again for this gospel. And we want to... We want to thank you for not, not only saving us by it, God, but trusting us with it. And thank you for churches like this. Thank you for this church, this pastor, this staff. The trajectory that they're on, the work that they're doing. God, I pray, I pray that you would help them lean into your grace. It help them to be a congregation, to continue to be a congregation, to multiply themselves and multiply this gospel. And Lord, I pray, I pray they would stay in line to share in their part of the sufferings for Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.